0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Let's put on, I would say, our professional hats, but also our parenting hat. And our community member hat when we we think about the ways in which we want to support uh, the next generation and all the sort of the complexities that go with, uh, you know, growing up, uh, going to school and thinking about the ways in which we want to uh, embrace our environment around us and the work that we'd like to pursue and how we want to uh, be a better community member. We're going to be speaking with Anna. Homayoon. She's an author. You've probably seen her on everything from Good Morning America. Let me give you a little background. She's an academic advisor and early career development expert working at the intersection of executive functioning skills, technology, and personal energy management. She's the founder of San Francisco-based area Green Ivy Educational Consulting and the author of three previous books. By the way, love your titles here for the books, on. as we get started here. That crumpled paper was due last week, the Myth of the Perfect Girl and Social Media Wellness. Uh, her new book is Erasing the Finish Line, The New Blueprint for Success Beyond Grades and College Admission. Uh, Anna, great to spend some time with you. Uh, you are brave for being an academic advisor um, by trade. Uh, it feels like what a profession, uh, professional path and one that has an arc that has just continued to expand, it feels like. Because when I think about being engaged with academic advisors, I don't know I don't know if I can really provide color to it because it really felt like it was just this kind of have to experience, you know? And I think that you you sort of blow that out of the water in a way that is incredibly thoughtful. Um, Talk a little bit about how being an academic advisor has impacted your role as an author and as a mouthpiece to some really, I think, important topics.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Um, And what a great question to start with. So I have now been working for over 20 years with middle school, high school, and college students. And it's been an incredible experience. So much has changed in the time that I've been doing this. So my office is in the heart of the Silicon Valley. And when I first started doing this work, there was no Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Snapchat, TikTok, all the things, Instagram. And I really started to see how the distractions that kids would first come into my office were saying, you know, pets, siblings, Daydreaming, sleep really started to change. Um, and with the, actually the iPhone and um, all the different apps that were coming out. And then we brought technology into schools in a new way. So my job and role has evolved tremendously. So it also, I think, keeps me young, keeps me engaged, <laughs> keeps me interested. Um, and then, you know, with the pandemic and going to online schooling and the impact of that and all the uncertainty that students are feeling today and families are feeling today, you know, it's always kept my role interesting. And I thoroughly enjoy working with high school students. Uh, My new book, Erasing the Finish Line, what's been such a reward and the gift of my work is going back to these students that were students in my office 15 years ago, in my very same office, and hearing their stories and really seeing how they have thrived using these underlying skills that I talk about in the book. But, you know, more than that, this is meant to be a practical, accessible guide for families today, because the whole goal is to reduce this overwhelming pressure around this hyper focus on college admissions or this any one moment of time. And one of the great things that happened just yesterday is that a parent um, called our office and she said, my daughter is just like Neera in the book, which is one of the early chapters. She said, I didn't realize until I read the book, how executive functioning really plays into connection and social relationships. And so my hope is that parents and caregivers and educators walk away, not just with some information that's super helpful, but practical strategies of how do you support students today in today's world so that they can thrive in college and beyond.
0: Let's talk a little bit. I I gave it away that I love the titles of your books, uh, and I think they're important. I love that you, you- incorporated in this notion of the finish line. And I'd love to get your perspective, uh, you know, based on your work and your writing and obviously speaking that you do across the country, because, you know, it can be really challenging to talk about a cultural shift is what I'm hearing, right? It's that we all grew up thinking that there were these, you know, thresholds that we had to, you know, meet and surpass and sort of overcome from grades. Um, And a lot of that has to do with this sort of this notion of a finish line. And we, we actually see it in the younger grades, we're seeing current sort of battles around literacy, and this arbitrary line at third grade. And I start to think about then the notion of and the principles that you're talking about, and it's, it really feels like a cultural shift. It's not that people might not read the book and say, this makes sense to me. I can follow that. You know, I can see this apply to my 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 child. Um, but it's the culture of that to say, well, wait a minute, what changes the value proposition? How does the relationship change? How do we think about what we've done in the past to set up our, our child or children for success or our students if we are now operating under the umbrella of, There's no there's no finish line where we're going to change the notion of the finish line. Talk a little bit about the cultural elements of what you're talking about, because I think that's at the heart of it, because you do really lay out a very thoughtful, I think, approach for people to say, aha, now I can sort of plug the plug and play these moments into the world that my student or child occupies. But it's that cultural shift that I would contend might be the biggest hurdle. And I'm curious as to your, your perspective.
1: Such a great question. So you you hit the nail on the head that this is really a big ideas book. It is not a here's how to get your kids good grades to get into college. There's a lot of those books out there and that's fine. This is really about stepping back and peeling layers of how do we support the long term social and emotional well-being of our students and give them the skills that long-term they can thrive in the workforce and beyond. And that is a different conversation because a lot of times in initial school, I've been doing some school visits. I love getting out there and speaking to students and speaking to parents and educators. It's really exciting to see this work in action. And sometimes parents, you know, will come back and say, well, wait, are you just not, are you talking that we should like downplay excellence and achievement? And I said, no, i'm giving you a new language i'm giving you a new framework and i'm giving you a new paradigm and it was funny cuz my sister who's a college professor i was talking to her about this last week she's like you know it's almost like you're teaching a new way of algebra and your people are still trying to be like okay let me wrap my head around that because i'm not saying that we don't have high hopes for all of our children in fact we should and we should also focus on the daily skills the routines and the habits that we know can help them thrive. And I use the stories of students from 15 years ago who are now in their early thirties. These were not all straight A students, but some of the most connected, I mean, some of the most successful, excuse me, were the ones who were able to find connections across differences and connect with people from multiple different backgrounds in a very seamless way. And I say this because it was, one of the things that was interesting is that you'll see in the book, um, there are people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds and walks of life. And that is in my work. i I work with students from all different backgrounds. And I thought when I went back to interview some of my students who are from more highly resourced backgrounds, more affluent, more educated, like in terms of the access to resources, that they would have used a lot of their connections, family connections. But honestly, the ones that were the most successful and thriving in jobs that like were unbelievable to their parents, they were able to make those connections across differences and, you know, have those churns of connections that they maintained over time. So 10 months later, a year later, someone comes back. We had a great relationship. We maintained the relationship. We are not teaching those skills. And in the book, I really highlight how this non-transactional socialization is key to thinking about how we move beyond a finish line of like getting into college, because that's really disillusioning. You get into college and kids are like, well, now what? And really think about how do I create community in a way that builds purpose and belonging and also allows me to explore the opportunities that are out there that are meaningful to me. A
0: couple of things. What what I think you're touching on there is you're talking about a global marketplace, which I subscribe to, uh, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a community based or that in essence, you know, I, I I knew when you said you're talking about the resource students, right? I had a, I had a inkling that you were going to say what you said, because I can see that even where I live, which is you stay sort of in within that bubble, right? And it's a pretty linear kind of an approach where those students that are much more sort of pliable, they can, they can mix and match and understand. They probably went through through some different things, were exposed to multiple cultures, and it just changes the way in which you frame the world around you. It's like, you know, Daniel Pink, bestselling author, you know, he talks about that we are stimulus rich, but context poor. And Mm -hmm. I just think that that really sort of speaks to what you're talking about. I'm going back to the title of the book and with, you know, um, the finish line element of this, how much would you say? um, Just sort of spitballing, but like part of me says, this has as much to do with the parents erasing the finish line as it does the student, if not more, when we think about just sort of, you know, look, I, I'm a parent, I get it, that we live busy lives. We we live these hyper sort of organized, or at least that's the the pursuit, this organizi- organized life structure. Um, and if we start to erase a finish line or we sort of change that paradigm, well, that that's going to put the onus potentially, or the fear is it puts it on me and, or our family structure, our routines, how we measure whether we're doing well to your, to the point, right? It's, it's a whole new language. So talk about sort of the value prop that is this potentially more for the parents than it is even the young person in that regard.
1: You know, it's interesting. So having worked directly with students for over 20 years and with families, I will say this, you know, students do some of this to themselves as well. Like parents don't realize those lunchtime conversations at school are often like the dead end is college. Where are you going to college? Even in eighth grade, or I'm doing this for college. And what we don't realize is part of this goes back to small talk skills. Kids will come into my office and they'll say, the only thing we end up talking about at lunch, it always delves into college. And part of that, again, to your point around the parents, is trying to find certainty in an uncertain world right in the one of the final chapters in the book um where i call talk, talk about the blueprint can pivot a young woman who she had this stream it, it she's actually carried it all the way through but it's changed and evolved and one of the things she says is you know the most powerful thing you can do is is accept, is find change and evolve when that it presents itself to you right something to the effect of that And, But she talks about when she was a high school senior, and I remember this, and she was in my office, she had this school that she wanted to go to more than anything she thought, right? And she said there was comfort in certainty. And I feel like in a time when there's so much uncertainty around all of the global issues that we see, that this tying into achievement culture gives us a sense of uncertainty. We can check off the box. And what I'm doing is actually, if you really follow the book and the language and the way we present it, it's actually much more comforting because there is not one moment in time that if your kid doesn't get this by 15, they're never going to get it. They're not getting it by 18. We know now more and more students coming out of the last few years don't feel like they're ready to go away to college necessarily. And yet I have families who are holding on very tightly to that notion and People have called my office this year more than ever before in 23 years to say, My kid went to school. We, you know, he got, he or she got in, right? Or they got in and they are now there and they're floundering because they don't have the underlying skills I talk about in the book. So if we can start this in middle school and high school and You know, over the last six years, I've developed a school advisory program as a nonprofit initiative. We go into schools and we teach these skills through advisory. We train the teachers and and get families involved for, you know, knowing how to ask for help, making introductions, getting organized, planning and prioritizing things that, you know, are sort of secondary in school culture right now that we feel like if we could, you know, focus on those, we can really close some of the these learning lags and get kids more engaged because they're focusing on the underlying skills. I always say, if you focus on the the habits, then the grades will come and they will likely be better than you ever imagined. But if you're hyper-focused on this faulty finish line of grades of this being this one moment, it's very short-term. And so I'm trying to help people look longer-term.
0: And and that can be very scary for people. Uh, the unknown, right? Just for all of us, regardless of age. When did the book hit you, this book? I, I, As a fellow writer, look, a lot of times an idea will spark because I'm in an interview, right? Or like somebody says something or you witness something. Was it in what sort of stage of all the books that you've written did this book, When when was it sort of conceived in your mind that Gosh, there's something here, and and it just be the type of thing that would wake you up in the middle of the night and say, "I gotta write this down. I need to think about this." Like this is sort of the next, um, mm-hmm. the next chapter, if you will, in your in your library.
1: So this book t- truly evolved. Um, so originally, in 2018, I started doing a needs assessment in Charlotte around economic mobility, and I thought the book was going to be about my time in Charlotte. It really ends up being a chapter, chapter three. Um, and so I had, you know, lots of words that were written about that. And then when the pandemic happened, I realized, you know, sort of all the rules went away overnight. And, and not only that, but what, sort of kept my students going were these daily habits and routines. So I went online overnight with my students. So we have at Green Ivy in our office in Los Altos, Green Ivy Educational Consulting, we have, we were working with students. So we had to go online overnight and we had to, we were online for over a year because Santa Clara County, where our offices had these space constrictions. So suddenly, my whole office was online. And I was seeing the impact on my students lessened because, again, we backed into these habits and routines. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And then I was seeing my students in college, you know, how in college and beyond, you know, these students that were 27, 28 coming back into my office or just contacting me and saying, I'm using these same skills in my job today, or look at this that happened. And I got really excited about that. And I said, you know, at the same time, I have every, I'm, it's kind of like a groundhog day where for 20 years, I've had these people being like, college is the end all be all. And then, you know, kids get to college and they're like, wait, the emperor has no clothes. Yeah, like what, what now? <laughs> yeah. What what now? Like what, so now am I supposed to like now focus, hyper focus on my jobs and my internships and then the house and then a the spouse and then the job, you know, like it's never ending. And so the idea of in, in, in interviewing my own students and going back actually happened far into the process where I was like, you know, I was going to do some peripherally and I'd stayed in contact with a number of them. So the student Philip, the student Andrew, the student... Um, uh, Henry, I knew where those students were. Um, Nina, I knew where they were. And so, um, Amanda, like all of those, I already was like, you know, I peripherally knew, but I never sat down and talked to them like I did over several interviews. So that happened later in the book. And then that really formulated the book. And then truly, I'm so proud of this book because it evolved the way it needed to evolve. Because while I was writing the book, right, while I was under contract, I actually started working with a young adult in a corporate setting, using the same skills. And I talk about that throughout the book, and then it's part of the conclusion. And I didn't know that that was going to be the conclusion of the book until, you know, very late in the writing where I was walking, like you said, you know, the ideas come to you. For me, it comes when I'm walking my dog, I I don't, um, or my dogs, I don't, uh, I don't have my phone with me. And then you go, you write for a bit, you go for a walk, and suddenly the solution comes to you. But For me, it was really like this evolution of not just how do we take kids throughout, but like, how do we also support workforce development now that we have a very different workforce that's coming in? They've had, you know, different experiences. And what I'm hearing from employers, and this is the work that I do now with early career um, development with employers, is how do we support these young adults to be retained in the role and thrive? At a at a time when in their critical development, sort of all the rules went away, and so now it's really a, it's a it's a it is a question that keeps a lot of people up at night, and that's one of the things that I'm working to solve across ages.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about how I think what's fascinating, and you're you're a great example. I mean, if you take sort of the healthcare um, industry. And, and I have anecdotal stories, but when you, you know, it's, it's like, if you're a physician and this is your area of expertise, it's really challenging when new information comes at, maybe that could change the way in which you think about diagnosing what's sort of in front of you, because maybe you've always seen people with this presentation, but you're in a world that is changing. I mean, daily where, you know, the very book you just wrote could be different a year from now. But what I get a sense from your personality is you'd be okay with that. In sort of understanding that you have to pivot as new information comes in. And I think you just hit on a on an element there, which was that like with we think about AI, right? So I have had conversations with college students at the graduate level in the financial sector that have said they're incredibly nervous that their jobs will be replaced. Yet they have been built, sort of they as an entity have been built based on the structure of finish lines, of structure. And If they're gonna, if the answer to the test is going to be there, let's just say broadly, because AI is able to solve for where you need to invest and why and all these other things, these variables. Well, then what skills do they have that will make them unique? Is it going to be the sort of non-transactional socialization skills that you talk about? Like, where does that all fit in? Um, kind of share with me just your perspective on how students should be looking at what their dreams are relative to an environment that is changing. I mean, it sounds trite, but like moment by moment.
1: Well, I think some some of these underlying skills, I don't think they're gonna go, go away because I've now been doing this for over 20 years. And so I don't think that the book I will say, and I say that because my first book that crumpled paper was due last week where some of the students that are in this book were in that book when it came <laughs> out in 2010. So it was really fun to go back and visit them. Um, but what I would say is that that book now has had a resurgence that crumpled paper was due last week because parents are like, oh, wow, this hasn't changed. My student still needs these executive functioning skills regardless of technology. In fact, technology has meant they need it more because now there's all this information that they have to process. And to your point around AI or people thinking that their jobs are going to be taken, that's the whole beauty of this book is that when you focus on these underlying skills, you can be adaptable and you can thrive and you can have multiple places you can thrive. So for example, one of the, um, stories that didn't end up in the book uh, was a young man that I worked with for a number of years. I think the world of him and his family and he wanted to work in college athletics. So that was his goal. And, you know, it really did come from something he liked to do in middle school and high school. And when we met, he was actually, you know, in the eighth grade, then we worked together and then he came back and we had coffee when he was in business school and he was trying to figure out what to do next. And again, he churned through that idea of connections and just applying. He, pl- he said, I applied to 10 jobs a day. One of those gave me an interview. I must have applied to 400 jobs because not many people at a business school go and work in college athletics the way he wanted you. Now, why do I bring this up? Because his first job in college athletics was in data analytics. He was the first person at the university that he was hired by to have that job. So in the way that things have changed, yet he was able to work in that environment in a new role. So what I want people to do is expand their definitions of what success looks like. So not somebody else is taking my job or a machine is taking my job, but how do I build the underlying skills so I can navigate and pivot and be adaptable and flexible and open and curious so that in this new working world, um, I don't feel like any one thing is the end. Um, Any one thing is the finish line per se.
0: How has be, being sort of an unofficial ambassador in this space changed you personally? Because I I, I always think that we sort of run over it uh, when we shouldn't, but we should honor the uh, commitment and the time it takes for, for a professional to say, you know what, I'm, I'm successful in the arena that I'm in, but I'd like to see if I can expand that and impact more people, and I think that's an incredible level of commitment. It's not something that's fleeting, um, and obviously with you, it's not because you're now how many books into this already. Uh, yeah. But tell me how it's changed you personally, because I think there has to be a moment where you say, "I'm going all in, and for better or worse, and even if I fall flat, right? I'm doing this because I I really feel committed to the difference that I aspire to make."
1: Yeah. So I have always wanted to get this work into school. So my focus in my office and the Silicon Valley is on executive functioning skills. So organizing, planning, prioritizing, starting and completing tasks and adaptable thinking. Like those are key and they're part of the first pillar of systems in the book. And I, you know, I reached, I talk about this in the book. I reached kind of this existential crisis. My work was going well. I was, I was doing fine. I, I could kind of do it on repeat, rinse and repeat, and then in 2016, somebody placed a really interesting challenge in front of me. Like, what if, you know, how do, how do you get this in the hands of all people? And I said, well, I'd always wanted that. In the back of my mind, I'm like, every kid need these, needs these skills, whether you, regardless of your background. And so the opportunity to go to Charlotte and to do the needs assessment, which then later, um, you know, developed into a three-year pilot program of the Life Navigator School Advisory Program was really the moment where I was like, okay, I'm all in. Um, because, you know, the, and I say this in the book, the financial toll, the emotional toll, the social toll. I was basically doing two full-time jobs, developing this, you know, it was a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade curriculum. Everything's available in English and Spanish. Um, we created faculty tools. We created pa- parent tools and caregiver tools the amount that we have developed has been extraordinary. And then when that pilot finished, I didn't know where we were going to go next, right? Like it was in the middle of the pandemic or the end of the pandemic. And an independent K through eight school in San Francisco was like, we'd like to do your program. And again, this was meant for all students. And this was like, kind of this like, okay, let's try it. (laughs) They have thrived. And the most amazing part of it is They have been such an incredible school partner in implementing with fidelity. So I have a whole vision based on the 20 plus years that I've been doing this work, based on my expertise in executive functioning skills, and they followed it to the letter. And the cultural shift at the school, the way students are thriving, the decreased stress, the increased engagement, the decreased homework missing has been, I mean, the stories are incredible. And my whole goal is that we build community around this. So it's not just like you're organized, I'm not. It's like, let's get organized together. Let's build these skills together in community and let's reduce this competition culture and create collaboration. And it's done that. And so when you ask me well, how I'm all in, it's because even with those days, and I have them, where you have a setback where you're like, oh, that's a bummer or, oh, gosh, that didn't turn out as planned or, oh that's a, you know, whatever they happen and you just keep moving. Um, for the days that I get emails from heads of schools saying, Oh my gosh, this has been transformational. Or I get it from a reader. I just had this morning as I was walking, um, someone who's read the book is like midway through. She said, I started crying when I was reading Aaron's story because I am Aaron and Oh my goodness, everyone needs to read this book. That's what keeps me going, right? Because I'm juggling a lot of different things, um, notably so. But but to your point about how did it impact me, it's like I lived the life. Like I created my own blueprint. I did all these things. Um, so I'm not just saying kids should do them. I'm actually saying I, this is... A pathway and trajectory that that I'm I'm very familiar with. Like when I tell people I'm you know my expertise is on executive functioning skills and how we you know bring this broader and teach these skills and get kids buy in, they're kind of like oh that's interesting, and then how I tie it into workforce development, they're like huh I've never really seen that. I was like yeah because I because I saw the need and I create that and I want everybody to see the need and what they're talented in. Um, And the last thing I'll say about this is actually kind of a little bit funny. when I was working on this book, uh, it was it was a real moment for me. And I went back. My dad was cleaning out his house, and he like had saved all the report cards from like middle school and high school. <laughs> I do not know why. Um, he's a very, very organized, but like too much stuff. Like so, he kept he kept them. So he gave them to me, and I'm like looking through. I don't remember these comments, but I, I see this one from fifth grade. It's like Anna is really intellectually capable. She just needs some help with organization, which <laughs> I died because. I'm like, oh my gosh, I created all these systems because I was a disorganized middle school student. And so I know that's like <laughs> Guilty I didn't know is that, charged, I remember right? This. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember this. So there is hope for all those kids whose parents are like, will my middle schooler ever get it? Yes, they will.
0: Well, I find you incredibly likable as a personality and what I think is is really powerful about what you're doing is in a world of of personal branding and sort of everybody focused on on that facade, I I don't get that from you at all. I mean, you are in the space because you're an author and you speak in these ways, but I think that the way you present yourself is incredibly genuine and it speaks to those report cards that your dad (laughs) pulled out. Uh, And I think that translates into probably the powerful messages you're receiving about your books and those that you continue to touch back with uh, that were part of earlier books. Uh, We want to thank Anna uh, Homeyun. Did I get that right? That's pretty good. Yeah. Homeyun, Homeyun. You're great. Right? You're great. Okay, that's pretty good. All right. I would encourage folks to go check out uh, Anna. You can go to com. check out her book, Erasing the Finish Line The New Blueprint for Success Beyond Grades and College Admission. I hope this is the first of many conversations. Thank you, Anna. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.